Hey, it's October 2020. 2020, you know, the year that everybody just wants to be over. <laughs> anyway, in the meantime, I've been writing some stories, so uh, season three, questions and answers, coming right up. Joel Rigetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents... Tales from the Dungeon. So here we are back at the end of season three for more uh, questions and answers uh, for timestamp and frame of reference. Here in the wild land of California, we have had many fires and it's uh, still quarantine for the most part. Uh, that's that. With me again is my lovely wife, as we are still in the aforementioned quarantine to discuss uh, a little bit about season three. Woohoo! Woohoo! Yay! Uh, also, as a side note, we are miles from the studio, uh, or two feet. Or 12 inches. Nine and a half inches. It was a little hot, and we went outside, so this is going to have a little different sound, a little more uh, fish tanky or live air, but here we be. It's going to be a little more organic sound. It's a really, it's, it's, yeah, what's fresh air? What's the one on, what's the PBS fresh air? The, the concerts in the library. That's where we are. <laughs> In the wild. Woo! So if you hear weird noises or our child knocking on the door, that uh, that all could be part of parcel of what's going on outside the studio for the first time ever. Shall we dive in? <laughs> sure. Here we go. All right. So you and I had a discussion the other day uh-huh. about uh, <clears throat> names in your stories that have hyphens. Yes. And what does and doesn't. <laughs> We have all sorts of interesting names. The Barata Province, sure. Jomato, uh-huh. Shashali Mountains, Gimli Woods. How do you come up with all of your amazing names? <laughs> I don't know if people call them amazing or... They're pretty interesting. Strange, but uh, I, a lot of them are made up, obviously. Just made up, made up. And some, I go from very bizarre, obviously, with Jomato and whatnot. Uh, I don't know why I did hyphens and whatnot, but... It's just one of those things that I started with, and then, um, as it happened, it kind of turned into. I decided that that was the old tongue uh, of the of the land. So anything with an apostrophe is most likely from the old tongue. So Jamato actually means blessed rock, and the Barata means the good land. So anyway, and then there is another mention. Solvara was a town that was mentioned. Also means the sun field. So I just, it's one of those things where I'm making up the language and anything in the olden fashion times got more of apostrophes like the birds are crushed together. So where do you pull your linguist, linguistics from? That That's completely made up entirely. There yeah. are some other names that are based. Uh, the Creus Down Adair and such uh, is based loosely on, I forget what, Scotch Gaelic or what, I'd have to look again at the... It's a translator, pro, whatever I forget which one. It's a, it's a, ga- it's a. <laughs> the random Google fish that yeah. you, that you search. Yeah, I use some Google foo, so it's, it is based on just older languages. So, and then dwarven, I've been using kind of a cross between Nordic and Icelandic, I think. Uh, so it's a real hodgepodge between. Yeah, I'm, mostly I'm, your own stuff mixed with a little bit of yes, fiction that already exists in the world. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sounds yeah. good. Yeah. Got to draw from everything to make weird words. 
well, it got me thinking, and then I was wondering how it was spelled, and then I was like, well, why are some things apostrophed and the others are not? Yeah. Interesting. There you go. Uh, so, Mela has fallen in with the group, the ragtag group that Sarkeesian is leading. Are we going to hear more about how that group came together and what their history is? Yeah, actually, I think there'll be a lot this season that kind of kind of does more about who that group is and where they are going. So this season will kind of, I think, lay out more of, uh, yeah, more of those characters. I think we'll see how, a little bit more about who Colborn and Colfin, the two Dwarvish brothers, are and how they meet Sarkeesian. How about the wild-haired one? I don't know that Rhianox in this season, but I think she may be in the season after, but yeah. She's fun, I like her. <laughs> She also, uh, I haven't decided the exact lineage yet, though, is related to Fion. If you'll notice, uh, Fion from Caria's story, mm -hmm. there they have similar mannerisms about them, and so I never thought about it. Rianok is of Fion's lineage, so that's a thing that'll happen as well, and probably be laid out in stories at some point in the future. Now we have to stop the interview because I have to ponder on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's not good. Please All pause right. for station There you go. <laughs> All right. So we're we will hear more about their history then. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. Um, in favors, follies, and fate. Yep. Uh, Orteval and Snare appear to already know each other very well. Uh -huh. Um, how is it that they know each other at that point? I don't think very well yet. They're going to have uh, just met. Uh, Snare will have been yet again in trouble. I think we're going to see kind of a history of Snare having having trouble staying out of trouble, how about that, and that who he is, and and I think after his ordeals and how he was, he's just kind of in this place of self-loathing and doesn't care a lot about himself, so I think he winds up in trouble yet again, and Ortefall uh, will be involved with that, and in which case... Uh, if you'll remember, Ortoval is deaf in one ear and is able to communicate without, uh, is communicate by sign language as well. So I think there's going to be some sort of beginning of shared experience between Snare and Ortoval, at least enough to keep them in the same realm for a period of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm looking forward to hearing about that. All right. <laughs> um, you had a new character that was introduced. Uh-huh. Uh, that was not of your world, uh, actually was introduced from a, a co, I don't know, co-mingling of two worlds. Sure. The Zarlfist was introduced. Uh -huh. um, can you tell us some, something about the Underground Oracle Publishing and why you chose to insert one of their monsters into your story? Sure, absolutely. I just, uh, the Underground Oracle Publishing are a group of third-party uh, content developers for D&D 5th Edition. Uh, I have made good friends with Keith Pendley on, on the Twitter first sphere line. On the Twitter. <laughs> and uh, I just wanted to kind of cross-pollinate and share some other people's works. And uh, the Zarlfuss was one that, when I looked at it, it, it fit. I, f I found a place for it in the lore in my world as well, too. And uh, a lot of stuff they create, I think you can... They, they're doing their best job to make things that can be plug-and-played and, and, and kind of dropped into anybody's world. So uh, they create characters and spells and character classes and monsters and 
uh, I think a few uh, locations, like little pubs or towns that if you just needed a town in your world, you could drop it in. So it was just a way to, to cross-pollinate and get somebody else's piece of creativity into into this world, too. And did you get to pick the monster, or did they give you a monster? No, no, no. They, I picked. It was something I had already, uh, was already had seen uh, in a release that I had read from them, and it was, again, the story the story kind of came, and so I was able to put that creature, that kind of terrifying creature, into the history and lore of uh, of the Barata province as well, the Gloaming Keep. And did working with someone else's material change your writing process at all? Did that add extra pressure to you? Uh, hard to say. I, w- I don't know that I would say ex. Yeah, no, extra pressure, yes. I don't know about extra. You always, when you're using somebody else's thing, at least for me, I wanted to do it justice. So it was just a situation where, yeah, you want to make sure you wrote a good story. So there was definitely some nervous time after I had written the story and sent it off. You know, you want to wait for that feedback to come back. But they were uh, they were happy with the story, and so then I was happy with the story. But it is it is weird to take something that, somebody has actually created that as a preform concept of something and then hopefully you've done it justice uh, but so that was a little different I don't think it changed much of my writing process uh, as a lot of the things I'm writing about are already kind of pre-written from D&D rule books and stuff so it's it's similar in the in the right that I was taking pre-established content and turning it into story uh, but it was different in the way that it belonged to somebody that I know so you want to do it more justice is it hard knowing that you have a specific item that you have to insert into a story no and actually i mean to me that's the beginning of the story right is is that thing so you when my mind started working or creating that story it's trying to see what is that thing and it's no different than a character right what is that character and how does it interact with the world so to me i started with what is that thing and how does it, what's its place in this world? And in this case, it's a piece of history, a piece of, a piece of uh, something that led to consequences and actions uh, in, in history. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Is a good story? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> uh, so the episode Influence of Virtue, my favorite story <laughs> in the entire world. <laughs> How many Mondays did I come home from work and curse you because it was going to last another week before I heard the end of the story? Um, My question for you about this episode, why didn't Snare decide to run after Hesed had helped him escape? Sure. Uh, I think, like I said earlier, I think my perception of Snare is he, especially now this this story, just for time's sake, literally occurs ten days after his escape from from the Baron's uh, prison, from his dungeons under the uh, under the the keep over in Mummer's Fair. So he's freshly escaped. He's fresh off the death of uh, his unintended friend Fordbeer, who taught him everything he knew. And my my take or my feeling or motivation for Snare and why he did not run was it was Ford Beer's death is too fresh in his mind. And though he's kind of got this self-loathsome streak, he also uh, was just unwilling to... In the end, he was unwilling 
to let uh, Hesed sacrifice herself or or give anything for him. So he, I I feel like he would have intended to run and then stayed hidden in a way in which he was sure that Hesed was safe. Uh, but we, if you listen to that story, we find out Hesed was not safe. And so his, for him, it was purely, he couldn't let somebody, anybody else be harmed on his behalf, basically, that he was, he just couldn't do that. So when he appears, uh, it's not of heroic nobility, it's just his unwillingness to let anyone else give him anything, basically. So that's my take on it. Like I said, that is really one of my favorite stories and of all of the seasons, <laughs> really. Um, and it's one of the two episodes that you've written for your two Natural 20 patrons. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the process that you've gone through writing for your patrons and the, sure. the prompts that they've given you? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, again, if you are a patron and if you are way at the top level, who I thought I would never have any, but now I have three, so... A huge shout-out to Dimitri Ryaboy, uh, Carolyn Carney, and Todd Makovich, my three Natural 20-tier uh, patrons. I can't really means the world to me, the support. Uh, but as one of those things, one of the options is to be entered in a drawing to uh, pick a topic for one of the stories I write during the season. So that's happened twice at this point. The first uh, happened in Season 2 was Atrocity. was a story about uh, some soldiers uh, who wound up uh, fighting a cyclops and then found out they were tricked and then Hesed's story which we just discussed um, was uh, Dimitri gave me that prompt and the story prompt there was oh I think we just heard a roar of a car outside this is our wild experience I don't but uh, Dimitri gave me a prompt that he wanted to hear a story about what if I told a story about somebody that wasn't a hero uh, in terms of having any magical powers. powers or being an exceptional fighter or trained. And in, so in D&T world, like all the people that aren't the player characters are called NPCs, non-player characters. So when he gave me that prompt, it was just something where I... And I did this in the second season too. I got the prompt from the from the patron and then I started running through my existing stories and basically took the prompt and then read what the story was, the existing persons or character was, read what the prompt, what was the existing characters. Uh, and Hesed and Snare just clicked to me almost immediately. Like, I got down to uh, Snare's story about escaping, whatever, and then it became immediately apparent to me that I could write a story about, you know, just a, a, an average Joe helping Snare out, who's all in a bad place getting, you know, recovering from things that he's recovering from, so, um, and then I, it's your favorite story, uh, that story obviously <laughs> grabbed me too and turned, turned long. And so the, long. The stories, <laughs> the stories, yes, gruesomely <laughs> long, but, uh, anyway, I, I've been typically doing uh, two, two episode arcs for most stories, but that one went for, uh, that's just a random side note. This season, I wrote longer, way longer. When I added up all the words at the end of season three, I had written 50% more. I think seasons one and two were roughly 30,000 words, and season three was like 45,000 words. So uh, I, just as this has continued, I've... I was going to say, do you feel like that's a commentary to us being in 
in lockdown longer? No, I don't. I would like. Yeah, maybe I'll have. You're more. being more introspective because you're at home and you're know. still not doing anything. <laughs> I'm not doing anything. I mean, not going outside. Yeah, yeah. Not having interaction. Not right. having. I don't know if that or it's just that this really is the beginning of my writing journey too. Mm. Like and like, I had never written particularly prior to season one. So season one I wrote and was like, wow, I wrote season one and season two was similar. Uh, as season three started, I like the very first story wound up being five episodes. And that was, as I was writing that story, I'm like, good Lord, when's it going to end? And I couldn't, whatever. And then I, when I was done, realized that I had written quite a bit longer. So uh, it's hard to say. I think the more I write, the more I'm tending to describe more interactions. And it's actually... The challenge this season has been to stay within the... Rain the, it in. Rain it in, yeah. As you can tell by episode length and story <laughs> arc length. So, uh, it's... Yeah, now I'm... Now I'm what, to begin with, I was worried I wouldn't be able to write enough. Now I'm having the opposite problem where I'm writing too much. So, it's a great problem, I guess, to have. Instead of having writer's block or not writing anything. But, uh, anyway. Sometimes when you're writing, you talk about when you can't get the words out and then it finally starts going, you, you call that tipping the cup. I just need to tip the cup. And you, do you feel like you had less of that problem this season? No. Of the cup not tipping. And that's, I don't, what's interesting when I say tipping the cup, like I feel like the stories form in my head to varying degrees prior to writing. And it can be from not very formed to very, very formed. And when the stories are very formed in my head, yeah, usually, uh, that, that the tipping the cup <laughs> is an interesting phenomenon. I guess I don't know what to say about that other than I sometimes have to force myself just to not be involved in the outside world. And for me, a lot of times, it's late at night putting music in my ears so I can't distract myself with other sounds, other noises, and just focus on that story. But so... I would say no tipping the cup or or starting some of the stories hasn't been any less difficult than it was before. Um, it's just once the stories are going, for the most part, they tend to go a little longer these days. So I definitely still struggled with starting writing. And that's, to me, it's more like a motivation and discipline issue than lack of story issue. So the beginning is the same, but the content and the will to keep going is... is you're building your muscle longer. Uh, something like that, yeah. yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, still, to me, I'll be surprised. I'm like, man, why isn't the story over here? Like, like it's, it's almost like I'm not in control with some degree. I'm like, <laughs> really wish the story would be over so I could be done writing it so I could record it. But, I also wish that yeah, sometimes. <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> True story. Anyway, yeah. No, so. I don't, not less difficult, but obviously more comes out when when the story comes out. Well, that being said, can you tell us what might come out for next season? I. What are so What are some previous? Oh, what are the stories coming yeah, out? Yeah, what 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 can you tell us about next season? Sure, here, let me grab this because I actually today sat down for the first time and kind of framed out what will be the remainder of the story arc. So I think. With confidence, I can say there will be three more seasons of this story arc. The remainder of the rest of the story arc? Yes. Like, to the end? To the end, theoretically, yes. Yeah, yeah. But I think 
by the time with my cup tipping in too much, then I'll find out that we may have more like four seasons. But anyway, three or four seasons uh, left. Uh, and let's see, this season. And I'll... Dimitri doesn't get to pick any more themes. <laughs> he might. You never know. That's part of the drawing. Or maybe I'll get 40 more natural 20 tier patrons, right? And then they'll then you'll have less likely a chance. Uh, uh, this season, we will definitely hear more about Colborn and Colfin, uh, kind of how they came to be, probably a little more focused on Colborn. Uh, we will hear more as I speak about Ortoval and Snares meeting. Um, we are going to have another story, that I'm not exactly going to explain why, but is going to touch again on the Comatessa Merrimandale Fiori. Uh, it's going to have some bearing and influence on the story. Uh, I'm not going to go too much into the depth of that, but it'll be about that. Uh, then I think we will have how Sarkeesian, Colburn, and Colfin all get together. And then as what I believe the current season finale to be. And then there will be one natural 20 patron story in there, which is always, I don't know what it is until I get the prompt. And finally for the season, we are going to, that finale will be... Uh, Alarian, Ortoval, and Snare as they recover the pendant uh, that they needed to get into what we now suspect to be back into the temple of the Creostanadir, the chamber, the secret chamber. So, dum dum dum, dum dum dum. That'll be, I think, the season finale for season four. So that's what's coming up. Awesome. All right. Looking forward to it. Here we go. Cheers. <laughs> Uh, that's it for this time. If you ever have any more questions, go ahead and contact me, social media, email, whatever. Uh, if not, there'll be a one-week break after this for me to rest, recuperate, write, record, and then we'll be back at it for season four. So, uh, I noticed I introduced my wife at the beginning of that episode, but didn't say her name, so... In case you haven't listened to season two questions and answers, my wife's name is Christy, and she's awesome. That's that. Season three, officially over now, and there are only the words thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for still being here. Thanks for listening. And I hope you'll come back and find out what happens in season four. <laughs>